I'd ask you to please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. Again, Luke chapter 18, verses 30, whoops, Luke 18, 35 to 43. Luke 18, 35 to 43. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of our Lord. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory, for the building of his church and the good of his saints. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Our Father, as we hear this passage of Scripture, we pray that you would open our spiritual eyes. Lord, some, even for the first time, some are, are beginning to see Jesus with, with shadows and, and, and just not quite clear who he is, but we pray that you'd open spiritual eyes that, that there might be faith, true and living faith in Christ that comes from, from the eyes of faith. We pray, Lord, that you would grant repentance unto life. We pray, Lord, that you would work through the proclamation of your word as you've decreed that you would. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen. When I was in seminary, I had a housemate who was working, I was, who was working on his doctorate in preaching. Um, this was down at Southern Seminary, and, and I was doing my, my MDiv, and, and, and he was, was studying preaching. He was studying to be, to be a preacher. His name is Travis, and, and, and Travis, Travis was really uh, inspirational to me because for, for many reasons, Travis excelled in everything that he did. He, he was a top student. He was well-known and, and well-liked on campus. He was, was already preaching at, at various churches and events when, when I only ever preached a couple of sermons at that point in my life. And these things were all, were all encouragement to me, and, and they were really achievements in and of themselves. But the thing is, Travis was blind. Travis couldn't see a thing, nothing. Not even... Not even Flickers of light. He couldn't see anything at all. He contracted bacterial meningitis when he was in high school, and as a result of a, of a really high fever, it, it burned out his, his optic nerves, and he was left completely blind, unable to see anything at all. There's nothing the doctors could do. Now, most people facing that, that situation would, would roll over and give up, but not Travis. 
Through it all, Travis continued to excel. Travis would, would walk. We lived uh, on, the, on the edge of campus, and, and Travis would, would walk to campus just using his cane because he had, he had counted the, the steps to his various classes and, and the steps to the library. So he knew how to navigate just with his white cane. He studied really hard by listening to books and audio. In fact, he's the one that, that I, I, where I learned that you can actually speed up books and, and hear them more quickly. When I first heard it, it sounded like this, I couldn't even comprehend what was being said. But Travis had trained his mind to be able to hear and, and to, to comprehend what he was hearing. And he also had something called a Braille note, which books would be scanned and, and he would put his fingers on it. It would actually, um, the little bumps would, would pop up so that he could actually read using his Braille note. And he had, he wasn't blind from birth. He was a teenager when he became blind. So he had to learn how to, how to, to do all these things to compensate. And Travis had, had even played high school football as a blind person. Now, prior to losing his sight, he was a, was a receiver and really a, a very gifted um, athlete. But when he lost his sight, he obviously couldn't play receiver anymore, and he so became a center. And, and so he, his job was to, to hike the ball to the quarterback and, and to block the defensive line from coming at the quarterback. And the other offensive line would give him audible signals so he would know which way to move and how to, how to block people. This is amazing. There's actually a, a movie about Travis's life called, it's called um, 23 Blast, and it was, was in the theaters some time ago. It's, it's now, I think it's still on Netflix. Um, and there, Travis actually, there's a cameo with Travis um, in, in the movie um, where he's a preacher. He's, he's a much better preacher than he is an actor. But, uh, but he's actually in the movie briefly as, as a preacher. So this, this, again, this movie's called 23 Blast. And I actually liked it. It was originally released under the title Blind Faith. I actually like that title a, a whole lot better because that encapsulates Travis's life. Blind Faith. Would have made a, a good title for this sermon as well. Travis's faith made all the difference in his life. He said, life does not end when tragedy comes into your life. He said, we look at the gospel and we see, I think, that God has a plan, that God loves and cares for us no matter what our present circumstances might be. So Travis might not have been able to see physically, but he could certainly see spiritually. But many people who, who have physical sight can't see they can see with their eyes, but they can't really see what's going on around them. They are blind to the spiritual reality. They, they focus so much on the present circumstances that they can't see who God is. And in many cases, they won't see who God is. And that can be true in your life, whether your, your circumstances are pleasant or whether your circumstances are difficult. There could be a willful blindness. Many people who, who are in pleasant circumstances can't see God because they are consumed with the, the enjoyment of this present life. And many people who are in difficult circumstances can't see God because when in their difficulties, they, they have an unbiblical theology of suffering. 
and they see suffering as, as something to be avoided at all costs. So they, they spend all their time trying to get, get out of the suffering rather than trying to see God in and through the suffering. They don't see God's redemptive purpose in suffering. Now we've just met people in both categories. We've met, we've met people who can't see God because of they, they, were, they had their good life, like the rich young ruler. Right? He was, was living his best life now. He, he had, from a human perspective, he had everything. He had respect. He had riches. He had self-declared righteousness. And so he was Jesus right in front of him. He was God the Son right in front of him, and he couldn't see him. Because, of, of the, because he was enjoying his present circumstances. But we also see in this passage those who, who have an unbiblical theology of suffering and, and can't see Jesus, even though they really should have been able to see Jesus. We, we talked about this last week with the disciples. Even though, in a sense, they, they did understand on a, on a level who Jesus was, when we saw, remember last week from 31 to 34, how when Jesus showed who he is, in his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, they had no idea what he was talking about, even though this wasn't the first time that he taught them these things. Because in their, in their theology, they were focusing on the Messiah as the one who was coming to reign and didn't understand he was also one that was coming to suffer for their sin. They couldn't comprehend any of it. As Jonathan Swift once said, there is none so blind as those who will not see. There is none so blind as those who will not see. See, and again, that certainly qualifies for the rich young ruler. The disciples, I don't know if so much as willful blindness as their, their eyes had not yet been opened to the truth. And one day they would see. After the resurrection, when they see the risen Christ, then they will, they will understand when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, then they will understand in the fullness who Jesus is. And you see this, we talked about this last week, in the, the change between Peter before the crucifixion and then Peter after the resurrection and the ascension in his sermon on Pentecost. Radical change because he had seen with his spiritual eyes who Jesus is. Jesus had shown the disciples that he is the prophet. He's the prophet in the sense that, that he came in the fulfillment of Scripture. and So it wasn't just his his foretelling of what was going to happen to him is suffering that made him the, the prophet, that he is the capital P prophet, in the sense that he is the fulfillment of the whole of Scripture. And he's the priest in the sense, it shows him he's the priest in the sense that he's going to suffer, he's going to die for their sin. It shows that he is the king in, in, the, in the, the way that, that he said that, that he's going to rot, be raised from the dead on the third day, having victory over their enemies and over God's enemies. And also back in, uh, back in verse 31, when he declared that he is the Son of Man. Remember, that's a messianic title. You can see it from, from uh, Daniel chapter 7. It's in a, with the enthronement of, of the Son of Man to the Most High Place. So Jesus was declaring again that he's prophet, priest, and king, but they didn't understand. Again, verse 34, the disciples understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. So three times in three ways, Luke is saying the disciples were, in a sense, blind to the truth of who Jesus is. 
Well, in our passage this morning, we meet another blind man. But this blind man could see far better than the rich young ruler. Far better even than the disciples of Jesus could see Jesus at this point. In this passage, we, we see that this, this blind man presents for us a, a stark contrast between the rich young ruler and between himself and the, the rich young ruler and himself and the disciples. He recognizes Jesus as the Messiah and makes one of the clearest proclamations we see in the Gospels that takes place during Jesus' public ministry. He couldn't see Jesus with physical eyes, but he saw Jesus with the eyes of faith. And Matthew, in his parallel account, includes two individuals. And that's really, if you look through Matthew, quite often he includes two, uh, two individuals where the other Gospels will focus on one as a double attestation, a double witness of what's taken place. So in Matthew, you see that there is, is actually two blind men, but, but one of them um, is, is actually the spokesperson. And Mark, in his account, tells us the man's name. It's Bartimaeus. So this is blind Bartimaeus. There's two halves of this passage. In verses 35 to 39, the blind man calls to the king. And then verses 40 to 43, the king calls the blind man. The most important sight is spiritual. Your most important eyes are the eyes of faith. The one who recognizes Christ the king is saved by Christ the king and follows Christ the king. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you recognize Christ the king? Have you been saved by Christ the king? Are you following Christ the king? So first of all, verses 35 to 39, the blind man calls to the king. As our passage begins, Jesus is, is back on the road to Jerusalem. After taking his disciples aside in our last passage, taking the disciples aside, he's in talking about his coming, suffering, and death, and resurrection, revealing his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. We saw again that the, the disciples were blind to the reality. Now he's back on the road. The disciples had a, had a measure of faith, but they didn't yet understand the, the full nature of Jesus' ministry and the fullness of what it meant. So as Jesus is here on the road, he's, he's now approaching Jericho. Remember, he had, he had set out a year ago to make his way, set his faith towards Jerusalem, and in what was a six-day journey, it's now taken him a, almost a full year. He's approaching Jerusalem. He, he's now on the major highway to Jerusalem, only about 40 kilometers away from Jerusalem. Now, you, you can't see this from, from in here, but there, there's, a, there's, there's actually two Jerichos. There, there's an older Jericho, the one that was destroyed by, uh, by God through Joshua, and that city was very likely inhabited. And, and just down the road, a little over two kilometers further down the road, there was the new Jericho, which had been restored by Herod. So it's, a little, it's about two kilometers closer to Jerusalem. And when you look at the accounts in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, <clears throat> um, it seems that Jesus was between the old and the new Jericho. And as he approached the city, there was, was a blind man begging. Again, there were two, but 
But Luke focuses solely on Bartimaeus, the spokesperson. And Bartimaeus is sitting in the roadside begging. With no welfare system in the ancient Near East, and, and because of the common view among Jews that, that blindness was a result, direct result of sin, the, the blind man could not expect to get any help from the synagogue. He was on his own. He, had, he was forced to, to beg. And so what would have happened is, is blind people would have been brought by their, their family and their friends to the, to the roadside, and then they, they would, would sit along the roadside, and as, as people passed by along the road, remember this is a major road, they, they, would, have, they, they would have asked, they would have begged for, for money, for alms from, from the people who passed by. And the road at this time very likely would have had more traffic because people were going up to Jerusalem. Remember, the Passover is, is, is just, just a short time away, just a little bit away. And so the, the, there would have been pilgrims on the road towards Jerusalem. And, and on this particular day, there was a much bigger crowd, even than normal, because of the crowd that was following Jesus. All along the way, the crowd had grown and grown, and it dissipated a little bit and grew again. And this is not long after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and Luke doesn't talk about it, but, but this resulted in an even bigger upswell of, of people who were, were curious about who Jesus was and said they were following him along the road. And so Bartimaeus hears what's going on. He hears this crowd, and, and he asks what's going on. So again, his... His physical eyes didn't work, but his physical ears worked. He, he was aware. He was, was, was aware of what was going on around. So he's, he asks, what's going on here? The people answered him, and their answer was, he knew, was the answer to his deepest problem. He said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, Jesus was, was obviously born in Bethlehem. We know that, but, but Nazareth, Nazareth is the town where he was raised. Bartimaeus would not be content to let Jesus just pass by. He cried out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Bartimaeus here is saying a whole lot more than just the fact that Jesus is a progeny of David. Son of David is a messianic title. Again, we're seeing here that he, this is a declaration that, that Jesus is the messianic king. Christ's kingly office. We spoke about this again last week, that, that Jesus had come in the fulfillment of God's covenant, in fact, of, of all the covenants, but here, specifically 2 Samuel 7, where David had wanted to build a house for God, wanted to build the temple, but God said, no, no, I'm going to make you a house. And he promised, he declared, that, that he was going to establish David's throne forever. So in referring to Jesus directly as son of David, by the title son of David, this is a, an inherent recognition that Jesus had come in the fulfillment of, of Psalm 110 and all of the, the enthronement psalms. And really of, of everything about the, the, the kings of the Old Testament, recognizing who Jesus is. He is God's king. Will defeat all of his enemies and ours. Now the Jews knew that the Messiah would be 
through, would come through David's seed. And they were eagerly expecting his arrival in the desire that he was going to rout the Romans and would return Israel back to the people. They didn't recognize that as the Messianic king that he would defeat far more powerful enemies than Rome. So here the son of David was in the midst of this crowd and it's only this blind man who fully recognized who he was. And verse 34 showed us even the disciples didn't fully understand who he was. Now in Matthew's gospel account, people regularly refer to Jesus as by, by the title son of David. But Bartimaeus is the only one in Luke, the only person in all of Luke to directly address Jesus by the, the messianic title son of David. Now, Bartimaeus makes the, he, he makes the first public confession that Jesus is the son of David. But, but this is, is one of the, the clearest proclamations you can see in, in Luke, that Jesus is who he says he is. But, it, of course, it's not just here that we know that Jesus is the son of David. We saw this. We talked a little bit about this last week. In, in Luke 1, the archangel Gabriel told, told, uh, told Zechariah, this is the father of John the Baptist, that Jesus is the coming son of David. In Luke 2, we saw that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. In Luke 3, Jesus is identified as the son of David in the genealogy. In Luke 4, we see Jesus' victory over Satan's temptations. And then here, Jesus testify at the outset of his public ministry that, that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's messianic prophecy. And so all the way through Luke, it's emphatic and clear that Jesus is the son of David. But again, this is the first public declaration. Jesus is going to refer to himself as the son of David in a confrontation with the Pharisees in Luke 20, 41. So Luke knows full well who Jesus is. Remember, he wrote this gospel account in order to, to show Theophilus that the things he'd heard about Jesus were true. But at this time, very few understood. And remember that this whole section is about the divide between the people who don't get it and the people who get it. But between the people who enter the kingdom of God and the people who do not enter the kingdom of God through the recognition, the attestation of who Jesus is. So they didn't get it, but this blind man did. So evidently, his ears had also been working before this day. He'd heard about Jesus. He'd heard about the miracles. He'd heard about Jesus' teaching. He heard about Jesus healing people. And so by God's grace, he, he put it all together. So he recognized who Jesus is. But not only that, he also places confidence in the Son of Man to be able to help him. He really believes that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. So he cries out, Son, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now those who were in front of the crowd evidently didn't like it. They rebuked Bartimaeus, telling him to be silent. It seems that they were liking, acting like the disciples we saw a few weeks ago who tried to hinder the children from being brought to Jesus. Now they're trying to, to hinder blind Bartimaeus from coming to Jesus. It's, it's very likely they thought, well, well, we didn't want Jesus to be, to be bothered by this blind beggar, by this outcast. They didn't want, didn't want 
him to hinder Jesus' progress. But undeterred, blind Bartimaeus called out even more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, if you had, had somehow inadvertently consumed a, a deadly poison, and, and right there on the, the shelf in front of you was the antidote, nothing would stop you from getting to that antidote. You would not let anything or anyone get in your way from taking that antidote and finding the cure to your problem. How much more should you let nothing prevent you from seeking the antidote for the poison in your soul? J.C. Robb puts it like this. What the blind man did on behalf of his bodily ailment, it is surely our bounden duty to do out to duty duty to do rather on half of behalf of our soul. Our need is far greater than his. The disease of sin is far more grievous than lack of sight. And next week we're going to see, Lord willing, another example of an individual that nothing hinder him from seeing Jesus was Zacchaeus, the, the tax collector. And so passages like these bid us to come to Christ for life and for healing. They bid us to come to Christ for life and for healing. People who are aware of their spiritual need and know that Christ is their only solution will let nothing hinder them from coming to Christ. They behold Christ with the eyes of faith and are confident that he can and that he will give mercy. They know, know that whoever comes to Jesus, he will in no way cast out. John 6, 37. Friends, as you sit here this morning, Jesus is proverbially passing by you. As you're under the ministry of the word, Jesus is passing by. Are you going to let anything hinder you from coming to Jesus? Don't let anything stop you. Are, are people trying to hinder you from coming to Christ, from calling out on the son of David for mercy. Children, as, as you get older, you will encounter many people in your life who are going to try to hinder you from coming to Christ. And adults, we know the same thing. We experience the same thing. But, but sometimes the one who hinders us the most from coming to Christ is ourselves. Don't let the fear of man stop you. Don't let self-righteousness or pride or love of sin or worldly pleasure or distractions or procrastination or your own doubts stop you from calling out to Jesus, the Son of David, for mercy. Don't let Jesus pass by without taking hold of him. Don't let anything stop you from coming to Christ. Bartimaeus might have been physically blind, but his spiritual eyes were open. Are yours? So now, in the second half of the passage, verses forty to forty-three, the king calls the blind man. So Bartimaeus wouldn't be deterred, and Jesus will not be deterred either. 
from seeking to save those who are lost. The king stops and commands the man to be brought to him. Despite the fact that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem and is now approaching his destination and his death, Jesus made time for mercy. He was on a mission of mercy. He came to bring mercy to his people. Jesus stops and tells the crowd to call the man. Mark 10, 49 has more detail. They say, take heart. The people say to the man, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Isn't it ironic that those who have been trying to hinder Jesus and coming, or hinder the man from coming to Jesus, now facilitate the man coming to Jesus? They once tried to make his heart afraid to come to Jesus, and now they're trying to encourage him. So the people obey the king and bring Bartimaeus to Jesus. Are you obeying the king and bringing people to Jesus? This is your mandate, brothers and sisters. Evangelism is not just for the select few. You are to bring people to Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel. If you truly love him, and if you truly love the unbelievers in your life, you will bring them to Jesus, and you will bring Jesus to them. So as he comes to Jesus, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Notice that Jesus doesn't correct the man. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm not really the son of David. I'm just a good teacher. Jesus fully accepts what is really worship and receives the man. Jesus is, is acknowledging, at least implicitly acknowledging who he is, that he is truly the son of David, that he is truly the Christ. All the implications thereof. And so the man replies, Lord, let me recover my sight. See the change in address there? Now he's, now he's calling Jesus Lord. Now, well, Lord is, is a, was a term of respect in that culture. When, when consciously aware that he's speaking to the son of David, there, there are greater implications. There's a whole lot more being said than, than just a term of respect when he calls Jesus Lord. He's coming to the king with, for help with his greatest physical need. He's about to receive a whole lot more. Jesus replies, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Jesus is saying, I'll give you your sight. Jesus' word is his guarantee. But Jesus says that it's done. But Jesus adds, your faith has made you well. I believe here that Jesus is actually speaking here about a whole lot more than, than mere physical healing. Our modern English Bibles say your faith has made you well, but the word that's, tra that's translated here, made you well, is most often translated in the scriptures, saved you. Your faith has saved you. This also fits the, the immediate context better and fits the broader context better. We'll see the immediate context in a moment. But in the broader context, remember, this is a section uh, about the kind of person who enters the kingdom of God and the kind of person who does not enter the kingdom of God. This is not just about physical healing, this passage. 
The blind man's faith is exemplary as the kind of faith that saves. The kind of faith that saves. Your faith has saved you. Now, this doesn't mean that the man's faith created the cure or delivered him to heaven. Okay, you need to understand that. But that his faith was the means whereby he received it. It's not faith in faith. faith faith's power is in its object. And the object and power of saving faith is Jesus Christ. Faith acts on what it believes to be true. So the blind man recognized that Jesus is the king and was able to deliver him, and so he called out to Jesus in faith. Now you have a lot more information about Jesus than the blind man did. That passage that, that I read to the children a few moments ago in Romans chapter 3, 21 and 26, I said arguably the most important paragraph that's ever been written down anywhere. The blind man didn't have that. But he had heard about who Jesus is. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, his, his spiritual eyes had been opened. And so he believed. He had faith that Jesus is the messianic king. Are you acting on your faith? Do you recognize Jesus as the only one who is able to deliver you? Or are you still blind? Ask Jesus to open your eyes. Ask Jesus to give, your, give you sight. Ask him to help you see who he is. Ask him to give you the faith you need to trust him for your salvation. Immediately, Bartimaeus received his sight. Jesus delivered on his promise. He always does. Earlier, I mentioned that Jesus declared at the outset of his ministry that he's come in the fulfillment of Isaiah's messianic prophecy. Remember, right back at the beginning of his ministry in, in Luke chapter 4, when he went, one of the first things he did in his public ministry is he, he went to the synagogue in Nazareth where he grew up and, and stood up to read the Isaiah scroll. And he, so he unrolled the scroll and he read from Isaiah 42 and 58 and 61, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. He set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has come in the fulfillment of that. He, he's, he's consciously fulfilling Isaiah when he heals this blind man. Likewise, in Luke 7, when John the Baptist sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus if, if he was the one who's to come or we should look for another, in response, what did Jesus do? He bestowed sight on the blind. And so he said, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And now here, towards the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus is healing the blind again. Now this is actually the final healing that we see in Luke. In fact, it's, it's really the final healing that's recorded in the gospel. Apart from his cursing the fig tree and the, the resurrection, these are even the last miracles that we see in the gospel. Jesus has fulfilled what he set out to do. He is truly the son of David. He is truly the messianic king. 
Now Bartimaeus, who's no longer blind in any sense of the term, follows Jesus, glorifying God. This demonstrates that, that again, that it said in the immediate context, Jesus is not just speaking about healing here, but salvation. Following God is the exclusive domain of Christians. It's only Christians who follow, follow Jesus, submitting to him as the king. That's part of what it means to, to, to recognize Jesus as the king, just to, to submit to him, to follow him as the king. Likewise, glorifying God is the exclusive domain of Christians. Yes, elect angels praise God. And yes, even the, the lives of, of unbelievers will ultimately be used for the glory of God. And, and yes, they can, they, with their words, they can say, praise God. But the only human beings who can be truly said to glorify God are Christians. Bartimaeus has entered the kingdom. Bartimaeus is a child of And finally, we see that, that all the people who witnessed this praise God as well. That very likely many of, of them would come to faith as well. At least at this point, they were verbally praising God. And that's been true of your life. As, as others have, have seen the work that, that Christ is doing in your life, on a level, they've said, wow, praise God. Again, they might not recognize fully what, what all that means. They might not be be living for, for God themselves, but they're, they're wondering at, at what God has done in your life. So make sure you talk to them and connect the dots. I did not pull myself up by my spiritual bootstraps here. This is God who's done it. He gets the glory. Yes, praise God. So here we have Bartimaeus, who had not been able to see the blue sky, the trees, the flowers. But the first thing he saw when his eyes were opened, was Jesus Christ. But in reality, he could see Jesus even before his eyes were opened. Imagine if you were blind, and the first thing you saw was the Lord Jesus Christ. My housemate Travis, like this man, can see a lot better than most even though it's very likely that his physical sight will never be restored. But the end, at the end of his life, Travis is going to open his eyes and he's going to behold the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. And if the Lord tarries one day, you will also close your eyes in this life. And one day you will, not just on earth, you will see Jesus. You will see Jesus in his glory. Will you see him as your savior? Or will you see him as your judge? We will all see Jesus one day. Will we cower away from him in abject terror? Or will we flee to him as our savior? Are you desperate enough to come to Jesus? Come to Jesus now through the gospel. Come to Jesus the incarnate Son of God, who perfectly loved his heavenly Father, who perfectly loved his neighbor as himself, who perfectly fulfilled all of the requirements of the law. And through faith, you can have his righteousness, his perfect righteousness credited to your account. 
and all of the guilt, all of your failure to love God, all of your failure to love others. Imputed to him. You can be confident that he has borne your guilt on the cross, that he has suffered all of the punishment that you deserve. Would you rather stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and say, I'm okay. You won't say I'm okay. Come to Jesus now. Jesus is passing by. Take hold of him. Lay hold of Christ and be saved. The rich young ruler approached Jesus. saw himself as rich with, with money and with self-righteousness. But this man knew he was poor and he needed Jesus. The rich man walked away from an invitation to discipleship, but this man doesn't even need an invitation. He becomes a disciple. The rich man lost everything, but Jesus gained. But sorry, the, the, this, this formerly blind man gained everything. So who is rich before God? The one who has turned to Christ in faith. So we see again that God is being praised through the ministry of the Son. Friends, this is an invitation for you to be healed of spiritual blindness to see who Jesus really is. Again, this passage reveals the, the difference between the kind of people who get it and the kind of people who don't. The kind of people who enter the kingdom the kind of people who don't. And here is between the kind of people who can see and the kind of people who can't see. The greatest miracle of this passage is not, is not the opening of the blind man's eyes. It's the regeneration of the blind man's heart. And if you were here as a Christian this morning, you have experienced that new birth. You have been regenerated as the Holy Spirit has taken out from you a heart of stone and has given you a heart of faith, a new heart that now loves and worships Jesus. This is a miracle far greater than any physical healing. You have seen Jesus for who he is. He's done the same for you. If not, Pray, open my eyes, Lord. Give me sight. Help me to see you. Give me faith. Help me to recognize Christ the King. Save me through Christ the King. Help me to follow Christ the King. And he promised he will answer that prayer. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we wonder at the gospel. The glorious gospel whereby we can all say, I once was blind, but now I see. Lord, we thank you for those who have already received sight. Help us to see Christ more and more clearly through the proclamation of the word, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray also using the same means that you would open eyes that are still blind. Grant them sight. Help them to see and to recognize, put their faith in, and to follow Christ Jesus the King.